Amen. Amen. If you if you can't say amen to that, I don't think you have a pulse. That was an amazing prayer. And we're dismissing the children. If you have kids, uh, dismiss the children. Kindergarten through something. Don't everybody leave. Um, what a joy it is to sing with you all. Uh, what a joy to lift our voices together in praise to our amazing God. Um, and what a prayer that our brother prayed just over the world, over our souls. What a joy. It's a privilege to be here. My name is Patrick Carmichael. If you are like, who is this guy? I don't know who this is. Let me introduce myself just briefly. Uh, my name is Patrick. My wife is here on the row with uh, my daughter, my eldest daughter. So Hannah is my wife, my eldest daughter, Chelsea, right there. My two boys are heading out. Uh, there's Ethan in the back and Tyler in the back. They're heading out to kids ministry. We have been friends with Thomas and Libby and Bruce and Carol for ever. <laughs> 16 years, something like that. I mean, Bruce and Carol for sure. Yeah, at 2022. Years. I mean, it's been a long time that we have been uh, friends. I was in uh, Bruce, Bruce's youth ministry. I was uh, a student in his youth group and uh, was able to have the privilege of being raised up through uh, his ministry under his tutelage, encouraging me, shepherding my soul, pointing me to Jesus. And then in college, met Thomas, was able to uh, just be in ministry, partnering in ministry with him. He met Libby at the same church that I met my wife at. We were both launched from that same church. So the Bridge Bible Fellowship planted our church down in L.A. Uh, almost 10 years ago now. And then Thomas and Libby planted up here six years, seven, almost seven years ago now. Uh, so we have a lot of different paths that have crossed. We have deep love and affection for ambassador. We know many of you. I've had the privilege of being able to speak uh, a handful of times here. And then we know many of you, some who have even gone from the church that planted our church. You came up here and you're a part of Ambassador Bible Fellowship with Thomas and Libby and Bruce and Carol. It is such a privilege to be able to partner from afar, to be able to know that we are both gospel, ministry, Bible-believing, Christ-exalting churches in our communities and in our fellowships. It is such a joy to gather together and uh, really to bring, if you can uh, just kind of think back of what Paul, the apostle, would do when he would visit other churches. And he would say, I bring greetings in the name of Christ from the church in Ephesus or the church in Colossae um, or the church in Corinth. Well, I'll call the church in L.A. the church in Corinth, right? So uh, we bring greetings from the church in L.A. We are so thankful for what God's doing here at Ambassador. We also bring the heat from L.A., apparently. I'm so sorry. It's going to be very hot this week in Idaho, but um, praise the Lord for these amazing air conditioning units. We didn't have that the last time I was here, so praise the Lord. If you have your copy of God's Word, and I trust that you do, I hope that you do, go ahead and take and turn with me to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. Have you ever had that conversation? You know the one that I'm talking about. You've experienced it before where something has happened in a relationship. Maybe it's with a family member. Maybe it's a co-worker. 
Maybe it's a, a relative that you have. Maybe it's a really close friend and something has happened that has started to create conflict and you know you have to address it and you know you have to say something and you know you have to have that conversation. It's going to be awkward. It might be a little bit painful and you're not looking forward to it. When you are thinking about having that conversation, I don't know if you're anything like me, but I think about it as I'm falling asleep I think about what if I say this, if I have to confront this issue, I have to talk about this specific thing, they might say this. And if, I, if they say this, I have to say that. It becomes this fear-inducing, panic-inducing, anxiety-producing conversation. And then when you're in the moment, your heart starts to race a little bit, your blood pressure goes up, and you're just praying and pleading with the Lord that He, in His sovereignty, and by his grace would create just a grace-filled conversation that would point to Jesus. When you are stuck in a moment of fear-inducing pressure like that, how do you respond? How should you respond? And better yet, why do you respond the way that you do? In your heart, why do you respond the way that you do? Daniel in Daniel chapter 4, has this exact conversation that he's about to experience. He's going to go through something that is filled with fear-inducing panic, and we will learn from him as we see him navigate this conversation. We will learn truly unbelievable truths of how we are to navigate these conversations as well. Since we're parachuting into Daniel, and we're jumping right into Daniel chapter 4, I want to give just a brief context so that we know where we are. And many of you are familiar with the book of Daniel, so we can go through this very quickly. You remember Daniel, he is uh, one of several people who were taken by Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, took them in uh, three deportations, Israel, specifically Jerusalem and Judah, the southern kingdom, was taken uh, into exile in three different deportations. Nebuchadnezzar came in 605 BC, took Daniel, took three of his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we know their uh, Babylonian names better than their Hebrew names, took them into captivity, took a number of other young men. Daniel was probably about 15 at the time that he was taken into exile in 605 B.C. That's the first deportation. The second deportation happens in 597 B.C. A guy by the name of Ezekiel is taken in that captivity. You know him. He's written a book in the Bible. He's taken in that second wave. And then the third wave of deportation is 586. That's when Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm done. We're finished with Judah, we're finished with Jerusalem, we're taking over, and we're taking all of your people into captivity. So Daniel was kind of leading the way in captivity, and he was stationed there. Uh, he was trained, you remember chapter 1, he's trained by some of the, um, the highest officials in Babylon uh, to be those officials themselves, Daniel and his three friends. And as they're trained, you remember chapter 1, the, the whole issue is you have to eat the food of Babylon. And they say that goes against God's dietary restrictions for our food. We can't disobey God. And you remember that whole chapter. We have to obey God. We can't disobey him. They ask, can we go on this separate diet? And God gives them incredible blessing. And they are actually stronger than all of the other Babylonians in that program. Chapter 2, you remember, is that 
uh, dream, that the dream that Nebuchadnezzar has of the statue with the different kinds of precious metal that are on that statue that just kind of lay out the history from Babylon all the way through the Roman Empire. And Daniel is asked by Nebuchadnezzar, rather commanded by Nebuchadnezzar, to reveal the contents of the dreams. He's one of the magicians. He's one of the uh, prophets that are there in Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar says, tell me not only what the dream means, but tell me what I dreamt. Tell me everything that I dreamt and then give me the interpretation. All of the magicians say, we can't do that. No one can. And he says, if you don't do it, I'm going to kill all of you. Daniel and his three friends say, you know what, let's pray. Let's ask God. God's the one who can reveal this. God reveals it to them. They thank the Lord and they go and they give the interpretation of the dream. Chapter three, very well-known chapter. Uh, Daniel's three friends are in a separate province and uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego um, are told by Nebuchadnezzar to bow down, to worship that golden image. And you remember the fiery furnace. You, You know that they say we will not. Our God can deliver us, but even if he doesn't deliver us, we won't bow. And then we get to Daniel chapter four and it begins with Nebuchadnezzar saying, I have another dream. This time it's a dream of a tree. I I dreamt that there was this enormous tree. It was providing shade for all the birds and animals. And then this angelic watcher comes by and says, chop down the tree, leave a stump with an iron band around it, but destroy the tree. And the person who is that stump, there's a declaration that it's an individual. That person is going to be crazy. He's going to wander around in the wilderness for seven periods of time, seven years, because he has not given glory to God, but thinks that the greatness of his kingdom is because of his awesomeness. And that's where we find ourselves in Daniel chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, Daniel, I had a dream. You already told me the meaning of my first dream in chapter 2. Can you tell me the meaning of this dream? And he goes to all the magicians and says, can you tell me the meaning? And the magicians say, we, we don't know it, sorry. So he goes to Daniel, and he says, Daniel, can you tell me what my dream means? That's where we find ourselves in our passage this morning, Daniel chapter 4, verses 19 through 27. And what I want to do is read this text, and then I want to ask God's blessing on our time. And then I want to dive in to see Daniel give us four very specific lessons on how to be faithful ambassadors in the world around us. Four very specific lessons on how we are to faithfully be God's ambassadors to a watching world. Daniel chapter 4 verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, that's his Babylonian name, was appalled. For a while, as his thoughts alarmed him, and the king responded and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar replied, my Lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you and its interpretation to your adversaries. The tree that you saw, which became large and grew strong, whose height reached to the sky and was visible to the, all the earth. And whose foliage was beautiful and its fruit abundant and in which was food for all and under which the beasts of the field dwelt and whose branches the birds of the sky lodged. It's you, O king, because you have become great. You have grown strong and your majesty has become great and reached to the sky and your dominion to the ends of the earth. 
in that the king saw an angelic watcher, a holy one descending from heaven, saying, chop down the tree and destroy it. Yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field. And let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him share with the beasts of the field until seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the most high, which has come upon you, the Lord, my Lord, the king. That you be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place be with the beasts of the field and you be given grass to eat like cattle and be drenched with the dew of the heavens and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. And in that it was commanded to leave the stump with the roots of the tree, your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that it is heaven that rules. Therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. Break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. These are the words of our awesome and holy God. Let's ask him to graciously write their eternal truths on our heart this morning. Father, we thank you for the book of Daniel. We thank you for our elder brother who has gone before us and lived through terrifying situations that are filled with fear, panic, anxiety. And we will see from him this morning how to navigate those situations. And so, Father, I pray even now that you, by your grace, would would teach us how we are to navigate the relationships that we have in our lives. There are There are so many different relationships represented in this congregation that I'm sure there are difficulties that are going on. There's conflict that's happening. There's non-believers that need to hear the truth of the gospel. There's believers that need to be confronted in their sin. God, I pray that you, by your grace, would instill in us a peace that can only come from your spirit, a hope and a comfort that can only come because we know that you, the most high God, are ruler over all. And just as the entirety of the book of Daniel teaches, empires come and go, kingdoms rise and fall. Your throne is established forever. And we trust you. So help us to trust you more. We desire for our faith to be grown. Desire for our affections to be fanned into flame. We come before you as Samuel did, and we just simply say, Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would graciously open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your law, without which you doing that work Of the gift of illumination, we will not see what we need to see. We will be like the Pharisees who, while seeing they didn't see, while hearing they didn't hear, that's not what we want to do. We want to walk out of here changed, 
transformed. So Holy Spirit, open our eyes. We pray all of this in the precious and matchless name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. These verses give us four very important lessons on how to live life as faithful ambassadors of God, specifically in moments like this where we would find ourselves in fear-inducing, panic-stricken moments where we might not know what are we to do. Just right off the bat, as another form of introduction with these verses, you can see in verse 19, Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar. Belteshazzar is the Babylonian name that means Baal, be protected by Uh, Be the protector of the king. Protect the king, Baal. Help. May the Babylonian God help our king. Daniel's Hebrew name means God is judge. He is the ruler. And this is a test for Daniel. Am I going to succumb to telling Nebuchadnezzar what he wants to hear? Or am I going to say what God, the judge of all of the earth, has told me to say? What Nebuchadnezzar needs to hear. He's standing before Nebuchadnezzar, who has just had this dream that clearly seems to say he's going to lose his kingdom. This maniac of a king has just had a dream that teaches you're going to lose your kingdom. And the king shows up and says to Daniel, can you give me the interpretation of my dream? Can you tell me what the dream means? How would you respond? You're Daniel, the king who you know does not have a level head on his shoulders, right? This guy is crazy. He wanted to throw these three individuals into the fire furnace. He says, I'm going to kill all the magicians if you can't tell me the interpretation of my dream. This guy is crazy. And he says to you, tell me the interpretation of my dream. And you know that the interpretation is you're going to die. Your kingdom's going to be destroyed because you're an arrogant fool. How would you respond? How would you feel when the king says, tell me the meaning? We know exactly how Daniel felt. Verse 19. He was, two words, appalled and alarmed. He is appalled and alarmed. Literally in Aramaic, this section of Daniel is written in Aramaic. Literally the word appalled means stupefied for an hour. Like unable to move. Stuck. Trying to figure out what am I supposed to do? And the word for alarmed is actually the same word that's used in verse 5 of chapter 4 of Nebuchadnezzar when he has this dream. He has the dream, he thinks about the dream, and it alarms him. And when he's alarmed, he goes to Daniel. And Daniel, a follower of Yahweh, has the same emotional response as a pagan king. This leads to lesson number one. Lesson number one, if we are going to live lives as faithful ambassadors of God in the world around us, number one, we must realize that life is filled with moments of fear. Life is filled with moments of fear. Sometimes I think as believers, we feel that since we're Christians, we should never be afraid. We should never go through moments of fear. Life should be easy and peaceful and comfortable. Or somehow, if we are good Christians, then we're going to be impervious to fear altogether. But look at the beautiful reminder that this passage is to us. Here is Daniel. He experienced chapter one who in crazy boldness says, I cannot eat what you're telling me I have to eat. Either kill me or let me eat what God tells me I need to eat. Chapter two, there is a dream and no one knows what it is. And you need to tell me or else you're all going to die. And Daniel says, let's pray. 
And God answers. Gives him the interpretation of the dream. Daniel chapter 3. He wasn't there. It was his three friends in the fiery furnace. But you know that they would have passed that message on to Daniel. Guess what Yahweh did for us? He was with us in the fire. Daniel's experienced all of that. And when the king comes to him and says, can you tell me the interpretation of my dream? He's terrified. Isn't this so encouraging that this man who has gone through all of those things that would easily prove the trustworthiness and protection of God, he says in this moment about a conversation, I'm terrified. And we can be too. Sometimes I think that we feel that if we just had some amazing spiritual experience, we would never be afraid. Well, this passage says not so. You can go through chapter 1, 2, and 3 and still be terrified. Like Daniel, we can live through and we will live through moments of pressure, fear, and anxiety. That shouldn't surprise us. Why is Daniel gripped with fear? The text is a little ambiguous, but it's helpful because it's ambiguous. It says, while his thoughts alarmed him. So plural. So he was thinking many things about this dream. Could be thinking, if Nebuchadnezzar doesn't like the meaning of the dream, which he's not going to, what's he going to do to me? It's almost like Daniel would say to the king, I'll tell you the meaning of the dream, but can you tell me where the nearest fiery furnace is? I want to make sure that I know that I'm okay, I'm safe. Daniel knows what happens when you make Nebuchadnezzar mad, and he knows that this dream is going to make him mad. That's why all of the other magicians say, oh, we don't know the, the meaning of the dream. Sorry, we're out. They're terrified. Another reason why Daniel might be alarmed. He knows the meaning of the dream says that Nebuchadnezzar is going to be taken away. He's going to be removed. He'll get his kingdom back, but then he'll be taken away. And then he knows that kingdoms are going to come after him. And Daniel might be thinking, we know Nebuchadnezzar's crazy, but at least we Israelites, the captives that have been brought to Babylon, at least we kind of know how to interact with him. We know what makes him mad. We know how to stay alive. But if he's gone, who are we going to get as king? Who are we going to get to fill that void? It might be somebody worse, and then we're going to have to go through this whole process all over again. Are we going to be safe? Are we going to be protected? Would the new king be awful? Would we all just be destroyed? Whatever it is that's alarming him, I just want to say, church, be encouraged by your elder brother in the Lord in Daniel. We can be afraid. That's not the issue. The issue is what are we going to do when we are? It's not about if you find yourself in moments of fear. It's how you respond when you do. And that situation might happen this week. That circumstance might come up tomorrow. It might happen today. It might happen. All it takes is a phone call. We say at my church a lot. It just takes a phone call to change your life. All it takes is a phone call. And when you find yourself in that moment of fear, of panic, of anxiety, will it cripple you and keep you from being a witness? Fear is often the greatest enemy of faithful witness. But Daniel's fear will not keep him from doing what's right. He's going to speak up. He's going to share the truth. But his fear also won't be his excuse for getting angry and lashing out. I think that's what tends to happen in our circles. We tend with our fear either to clam up and say, I'm just not going to say what needs to be said. Or because we are afraid, we say, you know what, I need to say it. But you say it in a very angry, lashing out kind of a way. And that leads to our second lesson. 
that these verses teach us. It's really the second half of this first verse, uh, 19b, if you will. Number two, lesson number two, after you realize that life is filled with moments of fear, lesson number two, we must respond with compassion toward our enemies. If we are going to be faithful ambassadors in this world, we must, number two, respond with compassion toward our enemies. Nebuchadnezzar can clearly see that Daniel is visibly shaken. Apparently he can see it on his face because he says, middle of verse 19, the king responds and says, Belteshazzar, don't let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. So he can see that Daniel's alarmed. And he says, don't worry, don't be alarmed, just tell me, I want to know, just tell me. Daniel, there's a a shocking reality to how Daniel feels about Nebuchadnezzar. And it might be another reason why he's alarmed. He's going to say, I wish that the contents of the dream were not about you. I love you. I care about you. And I know this dream says you're going to be disciplined and then your kingdom is going to be removed. And I wish that weren't true for you. That's another reason why I think Daniel's alarmed. He loves Nebuchadnezzar. Crazy, pagan, idolatrous Nebuchadnezzar. He loves him. Daniel wasn't one of those followers of God who seemed to delight in the idea of the ungodly finally getting what they have coming to them. No, Daniel's heart was soft with the king. Reminds me of Jesus weeping over Jerusalem at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I wanted to gather you. I love you. I wanted to gather you under my wings like a, a hen gathers her baby chicks. I wanted to take care of you. You weren't willing. He's about to be crucified. It's the Passion Week. He's about to be crucified. And yet he says not, I hate all of you because I know what you're going to do to me. He says, I wish that you would come to me and I love you and I grieve and I weep over the fact that you don't. Instead of being angry, vindictive, or rejoicing in this prophecy, Daniel Grieves. Listen to what he says. End of verse 19. Belshazzar replied, My Lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you, to your enemies, and its interpretation to your adversaries. He's, he's saying, in effect, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen, but I want you to know that I wish it was for somebody else. What a gracious answer of Daniel. I, I wish that this dream was for somebody who hated you. Judgment is coming, but Daniel doesn't exult in that. Rather, he has compassion for the one who's facing the judgment. And I would just ask you, what about you? Judgment is coming for our enemies. We know that. How do you feel about that judgment? How do you feel about your enemies? Are you excited to see them, you know, kind of get their comeuppance, right? We can't wait until they get their due. Or through tears are you pleading with the Lord, give me more time so that I can share with them, so that I can tell them one more time. God, please change their hearts. That's what we're commanded to do by Paul when he tells Timothy in the New Testament, pray for your leaders. Pray for your governing officials. Love them. Our job is to faithfully speak the truth, to share the message that we have of the gospel faithfully with those around us. But we must do this in love with a heart of compassion. That's why Ephesians 4 says, speak the truth in love. It doesn't just say speak the truth. There's a qualifier. You have to speak the truth 
in love. And if I can just be honest with our circles, right? We come from Bible-believing backgrounds. The truth is the truth, and we will never walk away from the truth. We will never sugarcoat the truth or water it down. The truth is the truth. But I think in our circles, we tend to struggle with saying, I can say the truth however I want to say the truth because it's the truth. And me telling you the truth is me loving you. So it doesn't really matter how I say it. I would disagree with that. I think the Bible would disagree with that. That's why Paul says, speak the truth in love. In fact, if you don't speak the truth in love, the truth really ceases to become the truth. Because you have some agenda behind it that's driving it. You're manipulating it. You're trying to control somebody. Speak the truth in love. Truth not spoken in love doesn't profit anything. 1 Corinthians 13. I could speak in the tongue of men and of angels, but if I don't have love, it doesn't profit anyone anything. Often I I hear it in our church. I hear it in our church circles. Me telling you the truth, that's loving you. So I don't need to worry about the tone. I don't need to worry about how I say it. I just said the truth, and that's loving. Be warm and be filled, right? Go, go your merry way. I would just say, biblically, if I could kind of summarize what the Bible says, you can never bad attitude someone into a good attitude, right? You can never say, you know what? I'm going to make you repent by having a bad attitude. You have a bad attitude. I'm going to change your attitude by having a bad attitude with you. It doesn't work. Being theologically correct does not give you a license to be mean. Defending a biblical truth does not make it okay to mock the person that you disagree with. Look at Daniel. Look at how he graciously, compassionately speaks to a king that deep down in his heart, he must have hated this guy at some point in his captivity. And now he has compassion for this wicked king. But on the same token... A love for someone will never keep us from speaking the truth to them. And this leads to our third lesson. The third lesson from Daniel, number three, if we are going to be faithful ambassadors, we must, number three, respectfully speak God's truth. Respectfully speak God's truth. So we must realize there's going to be moments of fear in our lives. We must respond with compassion to our enemies. But we must speak God's truth. We must do it respectfully. Daniel is going to tell Nebuchadnezzar not what he wants to hear, but what he needs to hear. And this is the character of a true servant of God. Where a love-driven sadness that cringes to speak the hard words of God are met with a God-honoring obedience that will speak it anyway. So he says, Verses, this is verses 20 through 26. He says, you're that tree. You are great. Your kingdom is amazing. But you're going to be chopped down. Your kingdom is going to be removed from you. It's going to be given to his son for a little while and then other officials for a little while. We know this from extra biblical sources. We know this happens, sources, historical sources outside the Bible. We know that these things actually took place. It's going to happen for you, Nebuchadnezzar. Why? Because you have become so puffed up in your mind, so arrogant in your mind that you think you made all this greatness happen. And God's going to remind you, I can take it away like that. And he does. He does. There's a prophecy here in this text about when Nebuchadnezzar is going to turn into this crazy individual. 
It's in the next section. You can read on ahead if you want on your own time. Uh, verses 28 and following, we see Nebuchadnezzar, the fulfillment of this prophecy. Nebuchadnezzar is going to go crazy. He's going to grow out fingernails like uh, eagle's claws. and His hair grows really long. He's, just, he's this crazy individual. And a lot of people read that and they think there's no way that's possible. Um, there's been studies done on this uh, affliction. It's called lycanthropy. It's when uh, you think that you're an animal and you get so stuck on believing that you're an animal. Uh, people can think that they're dogs, birds, cats, rabbits, tigers, wolves. Wolves would be cool. Gerbils. I don't understand why you would want to be a gerbil, but um, there's a guy who his last name is Keck. Uh, in 1988, he wrote for um, a psychological medicine journal about this disease. And he was able to see this disease play itself out in hundreds of people. In 1946, there's a guy by the name of R.K. Harrison who observed a patient in one of the British mental institutions who, ex- who exhibited almost exactly the same symptoms that Nebuchadnezzar is going to exhibit. He says this, R.K. Harrison, the only physical abnormality noted consisted of a lengthening of the hair and a coarse, thickened condition of the fingernails, which is exactly what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. And it's going to happen because God wants to teach Nebuchadnezzar, you in your beastly pride have exalted yourself. And I'm going to humiliate you to show you that you are a beast. That's the message Daniel had to share. How would you like that assignment? Hey, go tell the king of all the known world that he's a prideful fool and he's going to be turned into a beast because he has the heart of a beast. Daniel says, graciously, lovingly, respectfully, here's the message. Here's the message, King. Verse 24. This is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord, the King. God graciously delivered this message. We don't have the privilege of speaking to kings about these issues. But in essence... The message that Daniel is sharing with Nebuchadnezzar is the message all of us get to share with the world around us, right? The message is you don't understand that there is a king above you who is bigger than you, who is holy, who is awesome. And you don't understand that you are spurning his love and his grace by your sinful pride, arrogance and disobedience. You don't understand that. And because you are living in your sinful arrogance, in your autonomy... God will punish you. You will be judged. And judgment is coming for all who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and have not surrendered to him, turned from their sins, trusted in him for salvation. In essence, the message that Daniel is sharing is the message all of us get to share. We are living life in a world where we know God has told us judgment is coming. We've all sinned. We've all offended a holy God. We've all done what is not lawful. And there is a penalty. So what can we do? What can we do knowing that is the word of the Lord being given to the world around us? We can do number four, lesson number four. We can do what Daniel does. We're going to live as faithful ambassadors. We must understand that life is filled with fearful moments. We must respond with compassion. We must respectfully speak God's truth. And then finally, number four, we must reasonably plead for repentance to take place. We must reasonably plead for repentance to take place. This is verse 27, the end of our text. 
Therefore, O king, after giving the message of the dream, which I know we just uh, kind of skimmed over for sake of time. At the end, Daniel submits an extra thing. This is not something that Nebuchadnezzar asked for. He just said, give me the, the message of the dream. Give me the interpretation of the dream. And at the end of doing that, Daniel says, can I give you one piece of advice? Look at what it is. Therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. Break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. Daniel ends his message with a note of hope. He says, judgment is coming, but king, I know the character of my God, that he is filled with compassion, that he is long-suffering and slow to anger. And I want to plead with you, O king, repent now, because if you do, maybe this doesn't even have to happen. Maybe, maybe the judgment will be canceled altogether, or maybe it'll just be prolonged. But, O king, my advice to you is repent Repent. This takes such courage to do. Daniel is confronting the king for his sin. And his candor might have cost him his life. But he says, King, I know the reasons why you're being judged. And he gives two reasons. You have committed sins, break away from your sins by doing righteousness, the sin of pride, sin of self-indulgence. The second thing is break away from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Apparently Nebuchadnezzar was not being uh, kind to the poor. He probably treated them harshly. He was a taskmaster over slaves. Uh, He indulged in extravagant lifestyles. He had 53 temples. He had three palaces. One of them is that famed uh, Hanging Gardens of Babylon. That's one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. In fact, this conversation might have been happening in that palace. And so uh, Nebuchadnezzar is a wicked man. And Daniel says, hey, I want to tell you the meaning, but I want to tell you how we can change. This should always be included in the message of the gospel, or else it's not the gospel. The gospel is not judgment is coming. Good luck. The gospel is judgment is coming. And God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He loves the ones that hate him. And he's pleading with them to turn. And he made a way. We just studied it in the equipping hour this morning. The law cannot change your heart. And so God sends Jesus to give us the spirit, to give us the gospel, to give us new life, and to give us a new heart. And I just want to plead with you. If you're here this morning and you have never turned from your sin to trust in Christ, that's a natural byproduct of you understanding that Jesus is amazing. You will love to relinquish sin when you see Jesus for how all-satisfying he truly is. If you don't know the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ, I just want to plead with you, don't leave from this space until you talk with somebody. Talk with somebody up here in the the worship team. Talk with Bruce and Thomas. Talk with somebody next to you. I would love to talk with you and pray with you. Just don't leave. Lunch can wait. Eternity can't. Turn to Christ. Trust in him.
Daniel gives us four amazing lessons. Realize life is filled with moments of fear. Respond with compassion towards your enemies. Respectfully speak God's truth. And reasonably plead for repentance to take place. He doesn't shirk back from speaking God's word into the life of the most powerful man in the world, even though it could have cost him his life. What about you? Will you shirk back from speaking the words of God? Or will you speak them even to your enemies with grace, with compassion, and with kindness? But here's the thing, and we'll close with this. Daniel, though giving us a great example this morning, that's all he is. He's an example. If Daniel were here right now, Daniel would say, you know what? For whatever I might have gotten right in my life, go ahead and try and emulate that. Keep doing that. Follow me. But I'm not the hero. Daniel is not the hero of Daniel. God is the hero of Daniel. And so this morning, as we learn lessons from Daniel, let our elder brother point us to Jesus who lived these truths out in perfection. When faced with moments of fear and panic, what does he do? Jesus sets his face to Jerusalem and he says, I'm going to go. I'm going to die. He says, not my will, but yours be done. He has perfect compassion on his enemies, even while being crucified, crying out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He is the word who tabernacled among us and made his dwelling among us. Jesus has invited us, called us and commanded us to take up our cross and follow him. He's lived out all of these four points in perfection. So let Daniel be an example, but don't let him be the hero. The hero is our great, awesome, and all-glorious God. Amen?